Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we discuss all things Cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, a.k.a. UberBear, and I'm joined by a special guest host this evening. That's Chris Moore, uh, a.k.a. Samage. Uh, you ha- had me on here before for a popper episode. We're here for something a little different tonight. Yeah, welcome back to the show, Chris. Uh, if you guys remember from our popper episode, as Chris just alluded to, he is our popper god. And not only is he our popper god, he is our peasant connoisseur. So we've brought him in this evening because this is, a, frankly, this is a type of cube curation that I struggle with personally. I want to learn more about. So I brought in our shmi. Our subject matter expert, a.k.a. Sandwich, me the sandwich. That's a fun one, right? Sure. But before we get deep into the peasant cube design, we're going to do the thing that we always do here at UberCube. We're going to enjoy our libations of the show. Chris, what are you having this evening? I have this uh, Dr. Dank from Wicked Weed, an IPA. I haven't had it in quite a long time, so I'm sure I'll enjoy it. And I'm having a Wicked Weed as well, but I'm having the Freak of Nature, which so applies well to me. (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and crack them open. Let's get to the topic. All right, so we're going to kind of follow. We've got some – I've drafted these show notes, so uh, I am not the expert of peasant. So as we follow along with this, I'm going to be really leaning on Chris and asking him to basically seed in the ideas. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to ask him a few questions And then I'm going to have him just fill in the blanks for me. So the first one I kind of had for him is, what is the concept of a peasant cube environment? The concept of a peasant cube environment is pretty easy. It's just uh, all commons and uncommons. Uh, No rares, no mythics, no anything like that. That's basically the whole concept behind it. It's called, I believe, Wizards officially calls it artisan, I I believe. But that's, uh, we call it peasant. That's just the dozens of peasant cubers that are out there. So one of the challenges that I've noticed, and it's got to do with the this unique purgatory of a restriction, it's not quite pauper, it's not quite rare or mythic, it's in this weird kind of intersect between the two worlds. So card selection, what would you say as a curator, would you find it challenging for unique card selection that fit your expectations as a curator? A lot of times with uh, selecting the cards here, especially in, in the at the uncommon slot, a lot of your signpost cards tend to be uncommon. If you notice in a lot of the uh, draft environments that exist out there, just like a normal draft, you have these really like, you hear people refer to something called a mythic uncommon, something like that. That is something that we look for in this, for, for, for this kind of cube. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing we're looking for. And also, you know, you want to slip in some commons and there's a lot of very powerful commons as well. You don't want to just be all uncommon. Like, I mean, lightning bolt, for example. Right. <laughs> that's right. right right in the cube. Yeah, so another one, too, that kind of leads into it, and I think you just said it, there's limited models out there. Um, there's not a lot of artisan slash peasant uh, cubes in existence. I know that uh, whenever I mentioned that we are going to be doing one of this episode, a couple of our people in our Discord are like, woo, that's my jam. I think they're one of a dozen, right? Because, I mean, th- this is a very unique environment, and frankly, for me, as a person who owns a lot of cubes, I think this would be a very difficult cube to build, maintain, and curate just because uh, it's, it would be balancing and power selection of cards. Is it too weak because I'm tilting too far to the popper or is it too strong? Am I getting too close to the edge, redlining on rare? Floors and ceilings could be very challenging, distribution, et cetera. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do, yeah. And I will say this right now. When I started building this cube probably about six, seven years ago, uh, I built it just – to be a midpoint between my popper and I had a power cube, I still have a power cube, still have popper and power. And uh, it was kind of a midpoint for, for me to do that. And I will tell you right now, I used, I leaned heavily on a lot of the, the previous cubers that are out there. 
uh, with MTT Salvation being a huge, huge, huge resource for me because there just wasn't much. This was before really Cube Tutor existed, before Cube Cobra definitely existed. So I had to lean on them a lot to uh, to get like ideas and there's these really good posts that evaluated cards and everything. And as I said, there's literally dozens of us out there. And I know I've interacted with a few people recently who really like the, the uh, Peasant Cube, but it is very difficult to decide, as Uber as Bear said, that it's just hard to, you want to straddle that line. You want to make it fun, but you don't want to make it boring. You know, you don't you don't make it boring by making it too slow or anything like that. And so it's just it takes a lot of work, and it was, it was it's taken a my cube has gone through a lot of iteration. Yeah, and as a pilot or a drafter, the feedback system alone, it's difficult for me to give him uh, constructive criticism on this particular environment because it's in that unusual threshold, right? If I was in a popper environment, I'd go, "Hey, this is power max for a popper card," which we know. Card uh, power creep is real. It's happening literally across the entire spectrum of magic cards to begin with. But then you've got this weird, as we're going to call it, this purgatory, this center spot where you, that that shifting of power that that's and you have to have. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate, but you know, in order for it not to be a flat environment, not to tilt too far to popper and not go too close, he has to have some spikes. He has to have some power thresholds. But he, he does, as a person who has drafted this numerous times he has found a great way of just balancing it so the spikes are sure you may have a card in here that's a powerful card like ephemerate so it's very strong it's also also balance itself out with maybe the cards you're ephemerating are they're fantastic but maybe they're not the best in the world so it kind of balances itself out in that and we're going to go over that a lot more as we move along uh yeah i, I totally agree with that um you know you are going to have cards that will just be standouts you're, you're not going to have you have that with any cube though Literally any cube in the, in the world that you're playing. If you take out the best card, the next best card will slot into that right there. So you just have to be careful with that and just watch your drafts, you know, get feedback. That's, you know, that's the, the best way to do it. That's a good point. The more you try to flatten something out, the more something else will spike. Cool. And I've tried to do this with numerous cubes and it's, it's nearly, it's like digging in the sand. You never, but you have to find a medium and just call it and go, okay, this is my ceiling. This is my floor. As a curator, I'm going to accept this. And if your drafters are on board, then they're on board. Uh, the next challenge that he does fall into, and it's very much in tune with the popper world, is the land distribution. We've talked about this again with some of the people in our Discord, and they have experienced this as well, is you do not have, unless you choose to break outside of that rarity, you are kind of within that doldrums of, they're, they're, they're great cards, like the Trilands. There's nothing wrong with it. Perfectly serviceable. But you are still going to deal with that in this particular environment. That's just a, a consequence of the rarity restriction. Do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, I will all start out by saying if you want to run a popper cube and want to run all the rare lands, like the the fetches, the the shocks, debut duels, go for it. I think that's fantastic. I've chosen not to do that myself. I've chosen to stick with all the uncommon and common lands. Uh, I've just not seen too much of a problem with it. Yes, everything is a turn or two slower. I mean, that's just... A, a, a what's going to happen when you're running these kind of lands, but I decided to stick just with rarity restriction in this. And I felt it just made it a little more fun. And also by having those lands, it does kind of deescalate some of those high power creep cards. So it, it cascades into that. So maybe something isn't as powerful. It would be if your lands were more strong, right? So there is that kind of tick for tat or whatever, you know, give and take there. It does happen naturally. Uh, the next one that we kind of talked about is this type of environment, at least, uh, AKA sandwiches, Chris Morris, his, he really encourages, he would like to see 
three color decks. That type of spectrum is really inspired there. You can get, uh, you know, you can jam some Esper very comfortably in a, say, a blink environment and combine it with some unique aristocrats effects, et cetera. So it does, it does with those tri-lands open up that whole spectrum. And I, I do love those types. It makes for more interesting builds. Do you have any thoughts on that, Chris? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I got that idea a long time ago when I was first put, putting it together. Again, I'm going to shout out to MTD Salvation again. It's an, I know it's an old site. It's been around forever, but it was very helpful in this. And same with my Popper Cube, exceedingly helpful with that. But I decided to do it to go this route because that's the way that I felt like it was easier for cards to cross-pollinate when you could do that, a card that works in, you know, obviously cross-pollination means a card, a card will work in multiple archetypes, multiple environments, uh, and everything like that. And I just, the three-color decks just seems to work the best. Obviously, two colors are probably the most common, but we see three, four, and five colors sometimes in this cube, and it happens all the time with, with, the, with the kind of land base I have. Yeah, the land base he does have in particular. And we will have a copy of his uh, his cube in the show notes. In addition to every card that we're going to talk about during this episode will be included and can be found on our Google Drive that will be shared both in the links for the show as well as I'll share it in the social media spots and discords, etc. cetera. Uh, the next one that it's really interesting about this particular environment, and you know, Chris is a foiler. So we talked about in our popper episode, I could build a popper cube 360 for about a hundred bucks. We're not going to build Chris's popper cube for a hundred bucks, I assure you. Well, I, I was going to ask you, it's same, same holds true with your mm-hmm. peasant. Cause I mean, they are affordable. If you think about it, these cards might have been five, 10 cent cards. So maybe you can get a foil for 50 cents. Mm-hmm. But what would you guesstimate if someone wanted to build a non foil, non tricked out? What, what's the guesstimate to build a peasant cube? I mean, at three sixty, probably at one hundred to one hundred fifty bucks. I mean, seriously, it's it's not expensive. Even the ones that are expensive in foil generally have a very cheap copy that you can get, so it's really affordable. And especially with every update, especially nowadays, I can get a foils for very cheap. So updating my my pauper and peasant is beyond cheap right now. That's yeah, so that it's got a nice entry point that for someone who wants to get into, say, you're a popper cube owner and you want to test that spectrum. Peasant cube environments are really great for that. They really can try some more advanced strategies, a little bit more than uh, just. Uh, granted, popper has some powerful stuff, but a lot of it's going to be very creature centric. This is going to have a little bit more of, like we talked about, more of the advanced aristocrats, more of the advanced blink, uh, more advanced control pieces, et cetera. So it kind of takes it up. So this is, again, a great entry point if you wanted to start out by introducing someone into the world of cube or you wanted to start building your own peasant cube. This is a good takeoff point. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is, and I just said it was the more advanced lines of play. And that just comes because of the nature of what you're doing in this cube. Now, there's no, what's interesting is his balancing within his environment, there's no single card wins. I mean, you could get beat down by a giant, you know, monster, sure, but that's in any environment. But he doesn't have anything that's just going to break. Now, we are going to talk about some unique power outliers that I identified. That'll be more towards the end of the episode. But these are just because either the rarities have downshifted and they've now entered into that environment. And perhaps we haven't got the play reps in. But they're just cards that I said, hey, I know if I draft this, I'm increasing my chances of winning. We will talk about that as we proceed. The next one that we're going to talk about is he has access to a little bit more powerful sweepers and that's kind of so kind of taking it all back with peasant, the two kind of weak points, the creatures are going to be fine. You wouldn't even know it's going to feel a lot like retail limited. Right. But where you are going to notice a little bit of like a little grown, maybe if you're looking to power max and you're a person that likes to play high stakes magic. Right. You're going to be kind of tripping over yourself a little bit when you get a tri land. 
Or perhaps when you go to looking for a wrath of God and you realize it doesn't exist, nor does it need to exist, because just like in the pauper environment, a lot of these creatures are going to be of a lower a lower tier. Do you have anything to say about that, Chris? Uh, yeah, that's true. A lot, you're dealing with a lot of lower. Most of your creatures in this cube are low, you know, two, three, four power, maybe. At that, and maybe the toughness is around there as well. Uh, sweepers are actually kind of an issue in in uh, in peasant because we aggro suffers in, in, in this environment. Uh, I'll be honest because the sweet spot is right around four mana. So the mid range rules the roost here. You really have to work at keeping mid range in check uh, if you want if you want aggro to be a thing. But uh, to, to go back on the on the sweepers, a lot of them do like minus two minus two. Uh, there are some really powerful ones like one of them that I love and I wish I'd love to see more people run is Fire Covenant. Um, that that one is an exceedingly powerful. One-sided wrath, yet one colorless, one red, one black. Instant deal X damage, pay pay X life to any to any number of creatures, and it's an excellent, excellent sweeper. Pyroclasms in there. Nightclub is a brand new one that I just added. And Anthony, I want to steal this one from him because <laughs> I want to talk about this card. We're gonna do like this will be a. We're not gonna focus on a card, but this card. Oh my gosh, this card is sick! I got to play it the other night in your cube and had so much fun with it. Night Clubber for one colorless and two swamps. You get a two-two human warrior. When Night Clubber enters the battlefield, creatures your opponents control get minus one, minus one until the end of the turn. And it has keyword blitz for two colorless and one swamp. You can also do this effect and basically sacrifice it at the end of turn because it now has haste. So you get an attacker that gets to go in, may have just you know cut their board to pieces potentially in this environment. I am in love with this card and I. I might be looking at this for my La Femme Fatale Cube. I'll have to look at my power, but this is a pretty sick card. I think it's a good card selection here, Chris. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I only recently added this. I wish I'd been more high on it sooner, but yeah, it's been playing great. Ever since I put it in, it's been playing awesome. It's done a lot of work. I really like it. And this poor fellow with this sweet mustache, he's about to get it pretty bad in the back of the head. <laughs> oh, yeah, that lady's coming over to kill me. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't look like he's going to have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got a couple of questions before we move into the nuts and bolts of this. Uh, Chris, what is your favorite archetype to draft in a peasant environment? Okay, my favorite is going to be the Sultai Graveyard Matters Worm Harvest. That's it. I love that card. I love that. Love that deck. Just wanted to force you to do it. That's love fun. it. I love it. <laughs> and now I'm going to pick mine. And mine's kind of, it's going to be, it's going to be Racto Sacrifice Aristocrats, man. Mm-hmm. I just, and I think that's been identified on multiple episodes. I love anything Staxy. I love anything that's kind of, you know, sacrifice, bring it back to the graveyard, etc. And then in the peasant environment, I have access to legitimate reanimator effects. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just bringing it back to my hand. I can now cast cards like reanimate, et cetera, and pull it back into my hand or put it back in the battlefield and do it all over again. So it really pushes the boundaries of those type of I, I'm in love with this cube. So let's talk about kind of the trifecta or the subgroups that Chris has enabled within this particular environment and kind of talk about the breakdowns and pieces. And the first one, and I'm going to ask that Chris kind of talks about this, is, is, is his cube is going to be the Just Guy section. Would you mind taking that over and tell the listeners what we're talking about here? Yeah, not a problem. We're talking about the, of course, with Just Guy, blue, red, and white. Um, you know, so that's the tricolor thing. I don't know what the new name of it is. I'm sure there's a new name for it somewhere. Who knows? But uh, it is uh, what I have decided to support in this. This uh, grouping is Flicker, Tempo, Tokens, and Spells Matter. And some examples of each are like Ephemerate. Remand, Battle Screech, and uh, Gutter Snipe. And I believe all these will, will be in the show notes, correct? The that is correct. Them, yeah. 
So I just decided th those are the those are the ones I support with that, and they also will bleed into other color pairings as well. You're not just going to see this in just this; it'll bleed into other ones. Yeah. So I'd like to highlight the card Ephemerate. That card is OP. It's busted. It will be in the. Uh, I will be talking about that card multiple times, <laughs> but it does enable the next section. And what I want you to want to see is. What I want people to understand, what can be done in this, is he's now covered in his Blink Tempo environment. Now rolls straight up into his Grixis environment very comfortably, which is going to be Tempo, Draw, Go, Control, Aggro, Control, and Spells Matters. And you'll hear words like Mana War, which is just going to tie right into Ephemerate. And then Baleful Strix. Loves that. And then we're going to move into Arms of Hadar. Now, I don't know this card. This is a new one, so I'm going to take the time to read this one. For three colorless and one black, you get a Sorcery. Creatures, Target Player... Controls get minus two, minus two until the end of the turn. That's one of those sweepers we were kind of talking about that snuck in there. I have not seen this card. Oh, yeah, that card came out, I believe, in one of the the new Commander set. I think Commander Legends of Baldur's Gate thing. I think that's where that came out in. Uh, yeah, card's been really good. It's a, it's a beating when, when, against the right deck. Uh, also, it's really, too bad it's not an instant. It'd be probably very busted if it was. But, but you know, minus two, minus two to your, opponent, to any, your opponent's team. That was great. It does a lot of work. And I did just notice it is common. Mm -hmm. So it is busted in popper environments. Holy cow. So we're going to have to hot take this one now. Hot take, guys. Arms of Hadar for your popper and peasant environments. Card is OP. All right, the next one is one of my favorites, and I think it's a favorite of a lot of people because it's so cute, is Sprite Dragon. And, well, that's basically the little is-it dragon that just keeps getting bigger and bigger with flying haste, 1-1, one, one, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 one, one counter on Sprite Dragon. It's one of those cards that really encourages you to be a spell slinger on top of that, and that's where this tempo, draw, go, control just tethers so nicely from Grixis, and we just tied right into, as you can see the synergies there, into our Jeskai system. So it's really great. I love these. I love what you've done here. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a signpost uncommon. You see this card, you know there's probably a spell Falls Matter uh, deck in there. And it's not, I tried not to make any of these a trap card. That's a, my whole goal is to not trap people into playing something they don't want to play or playing something that isn't there. So. I was drafting faction uh, sprite fairies and dragons, and you don't have those in here? Yeah, you're going to be disappointed with that. I'm sorry. Uh -uh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here's a trial. All right. The next one, we kind of, this is more, this is more what we talk about. This is going to be, if you notice, Chris really has a thing for the flicker control tempo, and this is going to fall into our Esper section. And I'm going to, I'm going to steal the first one from him because I'm in love with it, but I'm going to turn it over to him after that because I, I think he's excited. This is a signpost. Actually, I'm not going to steal this from you. I'm going to give it back. Okay, so the first card I'm going to talk about is Soul Herder. I love this card. It is a for one and uh, white and blue. You get a one one. Uh, I think it's some kind of spirit. And uh, when a creature is exiled from the battlefield, put a put a plus one plus one counter on it. And uh, you know, normally that's you know you can do it with removal. You can do it with any other sorts of things. But also in, built into it itself, it has the beginning of your end step. You may exile another target creature you control and uh, then return that card to the owner back to the battlefield. So it gets a counter at your end step every time. And it just gets getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And also just redoing all the effects of, like, the next card, the Reflector Mage. You know, it's a 2-2 two, two that bounces something and they can't play it again. Two, uh, two, it's a 2-3 two, that bounces something. Correct. Oh, 2-3. Yeah. Goodness, I messed Even up. better. And it works really well with the next two cards, the Ravenous Chupacabra and also the Dinrova Horror as well. You know, it's a really nice card that bounces something, makes people discard a card. You get a 4-4 four, four for six mana. Four and a blue, blue and a black. So one of the big pillars he has here, if you notice, as we kind of went through these, is it's very signpost driven. He's chosen, and I do this too a lot, where he's picked his 
gold cards to signal a lot of the archetypes that lie within. So like Sprite Dragon really said, hey, I've got a Spells Matter section. Whereas Soul Herder says, hey, I've got a Blink section. But a lot of these cards, like the Reflector's Mage and the Ravenous Chupacabras and uh, even going back to like the Baleful Strixes and Man of Wars, they don't require that. They're not really... They're not trap cards in a sense, and they can cross-pollinate and go any kind of tempo deck, but they are v- you get strong payoffs when you start actually intertwining them with these type of cards. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it all works together really well, and people can build some really sweet decks out of all these things. All right, so we're going to move over to the next section, and I call dibs on this one because it's one of my favorites, and this is going to be the... Sultai section, uh, Graveyards Matters and Reanimator. And one of the cards he's used is his major signpost in here is going to be Worm Harvest. And we're going to, you have to forgive me, but I'm going to read the signpost. And Worm Harvest for two colorless and then one swamp forest hybrid times three times. I'm going to save myself a lot of saying that. And then Sorcery, put a 1-1 black and green worm creature token onto the battlefield for each land in your graveyard. Retrace. Uh, you can cast this from your graveyard by discarding a land card in addition to paying its other cost. Now, a card like this doesn't have the full strength or the power of the Death Star because obviously you don't have like a, a real true f- fetch type, but you do have your evolving wilds. You have access to those type of slower, we'll call them quote unquote basic fetches, right? Uh, that you can get the payoffs. But otherwise, a card like this is really looking for a self mill. And that's what he's encouraging here. He's not encouraging you to break fetches and get this, but rather the next card is going to be like a Stitcher Supplier, which I love this card. It's a zombie. It's going to let you mill yourself and move towards your victory. Uh, Frantic Search is another card that intertwines really nicely in this because it allows you to draw the cards and discard and you can put them in your graveyard. And then if you, you can untap, you know, up to three lands. So it keeps just progressing it. And then if once you've gotten rid of something that you can't tolerate losing in a self-mill deck, you've got cards in here like Reanimate where you, you're willing to pay the cost to bring it back because you, you have crossed that line. But you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, reanimates one of those uh, one of those cards that could be a problem, but I'll be honest, the targets it has, I mean, they're good, but we're not talking like a grizzle brand here. We're, we're talking like peasant uncommon level. So while it gets good stuff back, it's, it, it is a exceedingly powerful card. And obviously it's used in like vintage cubes and things like that. Uh, but in, the, in this environment, it's actually been just fine. It hasn't been an issue. It's never been a problem. Uh, I, I personally, as I said earlier, I love this archetype. And I specifically put this in here because I wanted to run Warren Harvest. I just love it. Yeah, and I think a card like Reanimate, uh, it does, in fact, scale. Uh, I've been staring at that card, for instance, in my Horror Cube. But that's when I was running the Grizzle Brands, and I was running the Emrakuls, the Promised End, and I was using Entomb, which that does still exist in that environment. But once I took the suite of creatures down a notch, I think it depowered that card, which is kind of the same side effect that Chris is experiencing in his Peasant Cube environment, where the creatures kind of set the tone of how powerful Reanimate is. Even though it will be powerful, you may be able to get a fast turnout and get a real threat on the board. Again, that's, you know, whatever. That's It's a great story to tell your grandchildren someday. Uh, the next subset that we're going to go into, and, and I would like Chris to cover this, even though it's going to pain me so much. I'm not, please just uh, say Anthony a lot while you're talking about these awesome mechanics. Well, Anthony, <laughs> you should know that we're talking about Jund, which is aristocrats, mm-hmm. sacrifice, and token beatdown. This is the kind of thing that I put in here because the green obviously is what, green and red are what contribute most to, to the tokens in this case. But in this case, we'll start with another card. We'll start with the Mayhem Devil which has been a fantastic card. Uh, added in for one black and a red. Whenever a player sacrifices a permanent mayhem, devil deals one damage to target. And that pairs really, really well with the next card, which is the Goblin Bombardment. 
or you sack a creature, deals one damage to any target, just for free. The free sack outlets are, are amazing in, in this cube and help out a lot. And, you know, you got to have things to sacrifice. So there's the next two cards are about, like, they make tokens. We have Hordling Outburst, makes you th your three goblins for one red and for two red and one colors. And then... I want to talk about this art on this Hordling Outburst he has here. It has got this insane dragon. It's got these three goblins running for their life. Like, they've got these total oh shit faces. Their knives are doing no knife control safety whatsoever. Blades are pointed all over the place, full sprint, fall in the snow. Dragon's going to kill them <laughs> if the knives don't kill them first. <laughs> I, I, I love that art. That's why I picked it specifically for that reason. I love. I'm a lover of goofy art, and uh, that's one of the ones that really does it for me. Uh, the final card of this one, an example, is Jade Mage. Uh, this thing, even recently, has been incredible. Uh, you think a 2-1 for 1 and, and a green. First of all, it's pretty weak. It dies to almost anything. But you pay 2 and a green many times you want, and you make a sapperling. Just a 1-1 one -one sapperling. This thing can take over games. It does really well. What Chris is failing to mention is uh, he's referring to me and getting my complete. Just I got the floor wiped me with this card. I, just when I think I'm winning, I watch Jade Mage just start. Oh man, I guess I got another a block. I guess I got a block. I'm like, God damn it! I just want to. And this this creature is fantastic. I actually run this in my Lafem Fatal Cube. Uh, I love hate this card. The art is absolutely gorgeous, uh, but. I just, I, if I'm going to lightning bolt something, I'm going to bolt it. I am going to set this card on fire. Yeah, this absolutely. one, this one's got so much an emotional response for me right now. Right. Uh, the next kind of, and this is kind of, I'm, I'm taking this piece. I'm taking it back. This was my wish. I'm taking them all back. I'm taking them all back. <laughs> and the next section is going to be Mardu. And it's going to be your hard to block. <laughs> little Goonies references. <laughs> it's my wish. Uh, hard to block, kind of the aggro aristocrat sacrifice. And this kind of ties right into that Jun sacrifice section. So the cross pollination is very much there and one of the cards he has to kind of represent this i'm going to jump a little through is going to be the cruel celebrant and that is going to be for one plains and one swamp you get a one two vampire love this card when cruel celebrant or another creature or planeswalker not super relevant but they do have some in this environment potentially you control dies each opponent loses one life and you gain one life just a fantastic card really carries that sacrifice aristocrats theme cross the finish line another fantastic card is the Plasma Jockey. And for three colorless and one red, you get a 3-1 creature Vashino Warrior. And it's actually a common. Whenever Plasma Jockey attacks, target creature and opponent controls can't block this turn. And then it has keyword Blitz. For two colorless and one mountain, you get to be able to do the same thing as before. You can kind of get through, you can sacrifice a creature in the turn. I'm in love with these cards. What does it replace itself? You draw a card. I love these type cards. Mm -hmm. Very aggro-centric. And then you've got some of these traditional ones. It's got, it, like, this is what's neat about the peasant environment. You're going to see we're going to cross some lines, but it's not that big of a deal. It's like Lingering Souls, which you'll find in a lot of environments. I run that in my horror environment. I run this in my La Femme Fatale with a different art. You run it in power. This card is just versatile, high-pickable, and you do get to see these kind of cards. And then you get to run something that I do enjoy. also run this in my horror cube is the Vampire Nighthawk. Just a nice stabilizer, mm -hmm. two, three, flying death touch, lifelink, just really gets you back in the game. Halts those big attacks. I'm in love with these type cards. Gives you versatility. Allows you to stabilize. And hopefully it kills Jade Mage really, really fast. <laughs> uh, the next section we're going to kind of move over to. Chris, uh, I would love, love, love for you to tell me all about. Oh, well, there's one in particular here. We talked about Planeswalkers. Would you mind talking about this one? Oh, yeah. We're talking about the uh, Timmer section, which is the, the green, blue, and red. 
Uh, this is your your big creature ramp. This is where where you're gonna find your 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 ramp spells to you know to to put out your your big blue and and big, big green creatures. Uh, and there's also spells matter bleeds into this as well. And as he mentioned, there is a planeswalker in here, the Sahili Sublime Artificer. Uh, one and two two times blue red hybrid. I'll take care. Yeah, I'll take care. Yeah, That's a lot of words. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, for five loyalty pl- planeswalker, uncommon, which is very nice. And so whenever you cast a non creature spell, make a one one servo. And then uh, the minus, I think, is uh, you make a copy of an artifact you control. It's not really relevant, I'll be honest, but uh, it's mainly there to make the tokens. I can't remember if this has been replaced by the third, the, the, the iconic, the iconic class. class. I think she's been replaced by that guy. Yeah, now. definitely in yeah, our environments. Actually, yeah, is, are you pushing yeah, icon- yeah. iconic class? It's, uncom- very it's uncommon, and I'm, I put it in here. I think I did replace Sahili, or it's going in in addition to it. I can't remember. It might be in addition to it now that I think about it. Now that you're talking about it, as a side note too, that iconoclast that was recently printed, it triggers off of non-creature spells entering the or being mm-hmm. cast or entering the mm-hmm. cast. Right? Uh, I've actually decided to exclude that intentionally from my artifact cube because I feel that the card would go ham. You wouldn't even be able to stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This it's almost yeah. So that that card is a great swap out for this one. But I do love Sahili. This yeah. is a fantastic spells matters feeds into the aristocrats. Tempo past. Oh, you're running both. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can take over the world with a bunch of little creatures, right? And then he's got the traditional one here, like the Jorah tree speakers he mentioned. Stripe Riverwinder. Let's talk about Stripe Riverwinder. This was a card, this was a topic that we talked about during our popper episode. Now, for those that don't know, it's a 5-5 that has hexproof and it has the ability cycle. But what I want to talk about is the hexproof. How does that impact this particular environment versus a popper? The targeting was a challenge point. Is it is it so much of a problem to have hexproof and ward and all that and a peasant? What do you think, Chris? Uh, no, because the creatures the creatures are just better in, in this environment. So and you can just deal with this. A five five that has hexproof, yeah, it's good. But it doesn't have any really evasion or anything like that. This card is one of those ones that it's it's pretty decent. But they, as soon as something you know better comes along, I might replace it. But. Uh, it's been fine. I have not noticed any problems with the hexproof. Sometimes you, your blue deck just needs a way to win that someone just can't deal with. But in all honesty, the other the opposing side just might have better quality creatures that can just handle it. And then one of the things I want to talk about, and this is an allude, this is going to allude to a future episode I'm currently drafting. That's cycling for one blue. Uh, that's that plays into that Xerox theory, right? And we're going to talk about that in a future episode, but that's more to come on that. But anything that's letting you cycle and move through your deck. And then, as we said, he has an enhanced reanimator package in here. So if he wanted to snap this back in with a, let's just say a necromancy for a pretty gross blocker, he has that ability, whereas in the popper environment, not so much. But my key question was, is hexproof and other things like that, do they really take away from a peasant environment? I know they truly threaten, in my opinion, a popper environment. I think Chris... Chris said the power balance is a little bit more. Yeah, the power balance is, is better in this. I don't think the hexproof hurts it as much uh, in, in this situation. And we have one last card in this, which we would talk about as Light at the Stage, another phenomenal card that allows you just to play cards off the top of your library uh, from Exile uh, for Spectacle. So, and it's really easy, easy, easy to do in this cube. Yeah, so would you say that this cube, as we move through this, it, it, my question for you is a popper cube environment is very creature-centric. Is this a is this more balanced towards creature spells, or is this still heavy creature dance, in your opinion? It's very creature dense, but you also have a heck of a lot more. Uh, you have access to more spells that are just better um, in, in this situation. So in this case, you do your spells matter is better in this case than it would be in a uh, 
a pauper environment. Yeah, and light up and stage really does encourage you to get into that combat and do things like that too. I, I love this card. Make people lose life so that you can get that trick. Uh, cards like that encourage it, and I, I like to see those. We I think we kind of talked about during our discard and a little bit of exile environment, mm -hmm. the art of the discard, but I think it's those type of cards are very powerful. Anything that encourages the players to march forward with their armies, I do love it, to get a reward, right? Uh, the next section, I'm going to say I love it, and I don't love it because of his peasant cube, but I love it because of Johan being the greatest commander of all time. Anybody that doesn't know Johan, Johan, please look at it. I mean, he is staring at his hand, wondering what's happening. You guys, check this out. Hot take, folks. All right, no, seriously. It's going to be the Naya section. <laughs> They're all shaking their heads like, what the hell? No, really, Johan's badass. Uh, but anyways, mid-range, beatdown, aggro. Uh, it, it's going to be stuff like Bloodbraid Elf, which shows up in all kinds of environments. Another favorite, and this is just, an amazing card is going to be Flame, Flame Tongue Kavu. And I mean, that's going to do four damage and take out a threat, right? And then you kind of get into that popper spiel that we kind of talked about with the Banner Hide Krishok. And this card, I'm going to read this one because it's interesting. It does go into popper environments, but it's so neat that it even fits in here. This just shows the power of this particular card. It is a common, folks. And for three colorless and one green, you get a creature beast, trample, reinforce two. For one colorless and one green, you can discard this card and put two on one counters on target creature. Or you can scavenge for five colorless and two forest. You can exile this card from your graveyard and put any number of one one counters equal to the card's power on target creature. Scavenge only is a sorcery. And it is a four four. This card just has all these. Is this, this is what we do for commons now, right, Chris? Do you have any thought? This is now common. <laughs> This card is, uh, has been a, a beating in my pauper environment, this environment, and my, my sultai little microcube as well. Uh, it, it does everything you want to do because you want, you want to fill your graveyard. You can, you can put a creature in the graveyard. It puts itself there. Uh, you know, with the reinforce, uh, you know, and then you can exile it later for, for it to make another creature bigger. And it's just a four, four for four, the trample. I mean, it, it wins a lot of combat too. Uh, so that's another reason this card has been incredible. I really love this one for, for lower power environments. And I really want to point out, we've kind of went through these cards and how interwoven all these cards that I have discussed so far. Banner Hide just being another, it's sure, it does the mid-range beatdown, but if you pay attention to it, it has that scavenge. That plays right into that self-mill strategy, right? Or even into a reanimator strategy. I mean, it, it's so versatile. And as I'm looking at these cards, you should see, it's like, you ever see the, it's like the meme where you're seeing Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and he's just studying all this map, like, where <laughs> he's pointing all the different, that's how this looks right now. It's like a crazy grid of pointing. The next card, and this one's a beater. This is a house. It's Season Hallow Blade. And for one colorless and one planes, you get a 3-1. A human warrior. And this is, again, this is uncommon. You see this in actually empowered vintage cubes. This card's a beating. You can discard a card and you can tap Season Hallow Blade. It gains indestructible in a turn. So sure, it's a very aggressive creature, but also feeds into a lot of strategies. Like, for example, even a reanimator setup, right? You could dump your Grizzlebrand in the highest powers. Or in this particular one, I'm quite okay with Clankton Cavo. And then bringing that back and hit you. I mean, it's just, it's so versatile. And it's probably really, really powerful in this environment. What do you think? Yeah, the, this thing, I, I've either been beaten with this thing or beaten people to death death of this thing and like it's like you said it plays into other other environments you'll run this in decks so you normally wouldn't want to run something like that because of the discard like we have a, I have a lot of cards in here with flashback in it that will help you cast those as well if you can't cast them now you cast them later you know that's the whole reason for a card like this existing otherwise it will it, it wears uh it wears equipment really well as well 
It's another thing, and it cruise things pretty well too. Yeah, but the only thing I think it will even let me excuse this card seeing it in a peasant environment, it has no form of evasion. So I, I shall, Uber Bear shall allow it because that, this creature will be awful without evasion. <laughs> you do have equipment to have evasion though, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it'd be rare. <laughs> yeah, the card's gross. Uh, the next section, I'm going to ask that Chris cover it. This is, uh, he, I'm starting to notice a trend here that he really, really loves blank. Here we go. Yeah, it's hard to get away from. It's just they've really supported Blink a lot in the past years. Uh, this is the uh, the Bant uh, section, you know, the green, white, and blue. The, and this is more, again, more, this is where, where your, your mid-range cards live a lot. And also Flicker, uh, Blink, ETB uh, works really well in this. You have cards like the Arborbeck Stomper, which is a trampling 5-4 that when it enters the battlefield, gain five life. Uh, and uh, then the the king, basically, uh, uh, of these kind of things is Whirler Room. This is probably one of the best cards in the cube as far as blue when it comes to for four drops when it comes to this uh when it comes it's a two and two blue for a two two uh when there's the battlefield create two colorless doc- doctors makes two flyers and then for icing on the cake uh, why don't we tap two untapped artifacts and have to be creatures just tap two untapped artifacts and you can make creature unblockable you know why not you know sure it's great and uh i love this card and uh yeah, yeah actually uh, we talked about this during the parnell episode and uh Stu and i have uh reminisced whirl of rogue is one of the most underappreciated cards in my opinion in a lot of cube environments uh it, it, it might be a little scary like you said it's it's scary in this environment it can get out of control sure as heck is scary in my artifact cube right and it can get out of control in a lot of environments whirl of rogue if you're not running this in your cube environments, you can be power max. This card is bonkers. It does a lot. The ability to tap two untapped artifacts you control and target creature can't be blocked this turn is payoff enough. I mean, it gets things through. It gets it gets combat through. Yeah, and the next two are, are basically what I consider to be signpost cards as well. Uh, you have the momentary blink, which just blinks something for one and a white, but it has flashback. As I mentioned, the flashback earlier for three and a blue, you can flash back, flash it back, do the same thing. So you get to do it twice, and it works really well with the next card, which is the cloud blazer, which is a two-two flyer. Three, white and blue. Flyer, when it enters the battlefield, you gain two life and draw two cards. Uh, doing that over and over again wins games, uh, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, I, I love every one of these cards for this. It's a really fun fun environment. So Chris actually makes a good point that I was going to bring up. Um, in my opinion, uh, sure, you've got creatures, but games are won in the peasant and pauper environment by card advantage. That's, that's my opinion. So if you get any card that you can abuse like this, uh, your chances of winning have significantly risen over your opponent who's trying to do a traditional, you know, draw-go strategy. If you're drawing two or three cards, I know that may seem obvious, but it's this is a very limited retail, so the more cards you get in your hand, the more advantage you take. It's not going to be, there's no single card going to carry you to the finish line in this environment. So having access to your entire library is going to give you a strategic advantage. So passing a card like this, this is a high pick. This in Mole Drifters, et cetera, World of Rogues. And, and I want to point out, too, for any new curators who may be interested to adding a level of dynamicism to their cube environments, any card that says the word flashback, now I know there's some duds out there, but the word flashback is a, it's, it's a drafter favorite. The ability to use the seasoned hollow blade, for example, and I could then theoretically discard this momentary blink because I have no value for it right now, as Chris alluded to, because I just need to pitch a card to save that card. Uh, flashback really adds a, just a whole level of depth to your cube environment. And then when you have stuff like, and I know it's going off the color scheme a little bit, but if you have a self-mill th- uh, concept or a Graveyards Matters, having having flashback as a reward to encourage your players to do this thing, it gives them payoffs. And it's kind of like, it's along those lines with the forced attack with spectacle. You want to get battlefield attacks. This These type of cards really encourage people to play the game that you want them to play. But they don't feel like they're on rails. 
No, they they add a, they add, I agree with you completely. They add a level of complexity that I really really like, and it encourages better play, in my opinion. You know, people realize that they, they can do more with their cards and learn a lot at, as they play it. This cube is really good for teaching people kind of how to play too, because it reminds me a lot of when Magic was when I started playing way back in the 1990s, and you know, so it's been a uh, it's been a while, and uh, I, I love the, how this environment plays. It's just really fun for that. Uh, okay, the next section we're going to talk about, and this is a favorite of mine, is the Abzan section. And that's, he's decided to do planes, swamps, and forests as a group for people that aren't familiar with, what was that, Kanza Takir, when they started doing these yeah. unusual groups, dragons yeah. or whatever? Remember, they, they added that, more names. It was, called, it was initially called Junk at one point, I believe. Okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense, yeah. All right, so this one's going to be kind of, the, this is fun for me because I like, I'm a, I'm a plus one, plus one counter. It has the persist, com- you're in the persist combo in here? Bad, Chris, bad. I guess you do run cards. So I guess you can get away with it. We're actually, you know what? I'm not going to let that one go. Tell me why you're running the Persist Combo, Chris. It has literally never come to anybody. I'm just going to put that out there right now. But it's really fun. It, well, why not? You know, I, I like it. As a person that just said, I play this cube all the time. Did not realize this was, was available yes. in the environment. Guess what Anthony is going to do now? Holy crap. Yeah, I just, okay. So, yeah, don't get mad now. I'm going to do Persist Combo. So, anyways, he's got plus one, plus one counters. Anybody that's not familiar with the Persist Combo, is you're gonna have a basically a creature that's gonna have the keyword persist on it. So when it dies, it's gonna get a negative, negative one counter on it, but then you're gonna sacrifice it and when it's gonna re-enter the battlefield and then you're gonna have a creature like Good Fortune Unicorn. When it enters the battlefield, you get to add uh, plus one, plus one counter to target creature in the battlefield. So you're going to use the combo. It's a two-card combo in the no, entire cube. Okay, not. good. I want to be clear. It's Kitchen Fakes. So like you go Infinite card. Life. It's like a four-card combo. Yeah, but Infinite Life isn't it's really like, win the game so much. It just makes the other person win quit. The game at all. Yeah, that's can, how it wins. Can you kill them through commander damage? Question mark? Question mark? Yeah, sh- sure. <laughs> yes, we can... You do 21 damage, you'll kill anybody. You will, usually. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure this this makes me. You just say, scoop, scoop, scoop. And then uh, he kind of he defeated in this. He has Inquisition of Kozielik, which gives him a control mechanism out of that. And then he has another card that I actually do enjoy. It's the Bailoff Knoll. And for four colorless and Golgari, you get a creature, zombie, beast, four or five. When Bailoff Knoll enters, did I say Knoll Troll before? I may have said Knoll Troll. They also, we're going to go with Knoll. Uh, enters the battlefield, <laughs> return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. So that feeds into uh, a blink strategy that feeds into the graveyard's matters. It hits here with the counters. You can see there's, there's so much interwoven. Again, I want to go back to that Charlie from It's Always Sunny pointing all over the place, doing the great design. That looks a lot like when you look at this cube, please appreciate all these interwoven pieces of mechanics Chris has put time into here. I am actually going to speak a little bit more on the Persist combo. I know Anthony was asking, uh, why the heck is this in here? Well, I put it in here. There's literally two cards with Persist in there. There's Kitchen Finks and the Murderous Red Cat. So, yes, and if you manage to get that and a Good Fortune Unicorn and a, and a Sacrifice Outlet, by all means, you did it. But it's, I've literally never seen it come together. I've tried. It hasn't worked for me. Usually people will kill one or the other before I have a chance to do anything. I just want to point out he never told me it existed in this cube, and now I know. Now it will happen. All right. So I would like to point out that this has been on the uh, thing forever, and Anthony apparently hasn't read it. No, I have not. I have not. Damn it. All right. In the next section, so we kind of got, let's, we're going to kind of recap here. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun, folks. All right, so we want to kind of recap here. And what we've talked about is some of the things you have to pay. I think that just really highlighted it. Your archetypes, you have to manage them closely due to power level within his environment, right? I mean, he's dealing with a lot of blink flickers. Those can get out of control. 
and has restricted interaction points for the opponent. And I will say, as a person that also runs Blink Flicker in my La Femme Fatale, if you're seeking fun, I don't know if necessarily Blink provides all the said fun. It may be, it, it's fun if you take turns playing the same deck, but what I mean by that is your removal spells can be basically nerfed, your creature interactions and blocking can be nerfed. Blink, Blink is something you need to be mindful of. In my personal opinion, not to oversaturate an environment unless you have means to stop it. And I'm not encouraging, say, I don't know, putting the new Elishnor in your cube. But what I'm saying is just don't <laughs> let Blink fly off the rails too much. You can break an environment, in I, my opinion. Do you have any thoughts? No, on that? I totally agree with you. It's one that I actually watch the most for power level reasons. And I try to restrict. There's new Blink cards coming out all the time. Um, I'm really trying to just stick with what's been working. Uh, you know, I haven't been trying out a lot of the new things because there's just too much too much coming out. There's a lot of new stuff that comes out for it. It's one I have to watch the most, actually, uh, as far as power level reasons. Anthony is completely correct. Uh, another one that I think in a peasant environment that you have to uh, monitor and manage would be your aristocrats or your Ractosac because mm -hmm. those cards tend to get printed in that particular um, rarity more often than not, and you could oversaturate and really have... It could be end up some not not you know non games right where you're sitting behind this force field just pinging people to death trading lives. I know it's fun. I enjoy that personally. I just know that with the availability of these cards in this particular color and this excuse me this rarity suite, you do have access to a lot of aristocrats. And the next one I think it's kind of a it's kind of just an, a known known mm -hmm. entity now is you always have to be mindful as a curator. In my opinion, and I think Chris will agree, your spells matters tempo. It's one of those particular archetypes that feeds itself with cards, right? You don't even have to really try. You put a red and a blue card and suddenly you go, oh, man, I've got an is it, you know, spells matters archetype. It just starts forming itself and it can get out of control. So just be mindful of that as a curator, and especially in these rarity restricted cubes. Do you have anything to say about that, Chris? Yeah, the only thing is with the aristocrats, like unlike Blank, you you win pretty quickly if you get if you get your little shield wall up of yeah. uh, stuff. Uh, blank takes a little while to win, so it can be a little miserable for the other opponent sometimes. Uh, the spells matter is just it's been there since the beginning of Magic, basically. Spells matter and tempo has been there since the beginning, and uh, people kind of expect it to be there. So I always support it. I don't try to go overboard on say all the burn spells and the counter spells. Try to limit you know what what exactly people have access to, and that's how that's how you keep it in check. Yeah, that kind of pulls, that alludes to a future episode we're going to do about balancing your archetypes. Mm -hmm. That was the whole thing that I was doing there. I was doing a little trop. You see what I was doing. But um, when you start getting these, some of them can overtake your mm -hmm. environments, and it's not intentional. And then to go back to the blink one more time, it can be a, a slow, grindy game is what he wanted to point out. So when you saturate too much in there, just be buyer beware is all I'm saying with those in a peasant environment. So the next thing is I went through and I made a list of, in my opinion, high-powered picks in a peasant cube environment that I would not let go past me if I was sitting in the draft pool. And the first one I have is Mother of Runes. What do you think about that one, Chris? Well, I will say this. I've been looking at the list, and uh, most of these are, have been, are on some sort of a watch list. Some of them aren't. Some of them are totally fine in this environment. Mother of Runes is an extraordinarily powerful card. Uh, I will not deny that, um, but sometimes that mono white deck or that white deck just needs a way to punch through damage. Again, it's, it's just... It's been fine. There really hasn't been an issue with it because you can run up to four, three, four, five colors sometimes, and she just isn't as good when you're playing a deck like that. So that that's my that's my defense. And one we talked about before <laughs> was the season Hallow Blade, just because the instructability it's powerful. But then he has access to in this particular uh, it's it's been in the peasant colors or the uncommon colors for a while. That's that would awful. be. 
since alpha, right? Sword supply shares and path to exile were sword supply shares being the best removal in the game, pretty much, right? Uh, just because allowing your opponent to gain life is way better than allowing your opponent to get a resource and ram forward if you had to choose between the two. Sure, those are pretty excusable cards. I run those in a lot of my powered environments. Chris, would you mind? I've got another challenge one here, and I want to talk about this one. It's Mold Drifter. What are your thoughts on that one? Oh, Mold Drifter's been just fine. It is just, it's a very powerful card. Yes, with the Blink Environment, it gets way better. Without it, it's only, meh. You know, it's not that great a card. It's a uh, 2 2, you draw 2. It's divination at that point, you know, and it's it's only okay. But it does get better with another card you have on the list, which I'll go ahead and just jump to right now. Why mm-hmm. not? Uh, Crystal Shard, uh, which is either for three or a blue, and it costs three to cast, by the way, but for three or a blue, you can tap it and return to a creature to honor's hand unless it's controller plays one. You don't use this on your opponent's card. You use it on your own. Right. And uh, that card's been on the watch list for a long time. Uh, it hasn't really done anything too busted because we usually have enough removal and there's enough removal in the cube to handle it if it comes in but sometimes it does take over and it happens it hasn't been like oh my god crystal shard is dominating everything and can't you when you do that evoke cost interact with crystal shard and flicker it back so you've reduced the cost thereby oh a- absolutely uh but i mean but then when you're flickering it back with say like uh, another spell like uh, like ephemerate or something like that crystal shard bounces to your hand so you get to do you have to do that again it's not as Okay, it's good, but it's not like... <laughs> I'm of the opinion, we talked about this before, that popper environments and peasant environments do run on the back of card advantage, yeah, right? right? They're limited retail, so you get to move through and mm-hmm. get your threats. Another one we talked about already, and I won't hark on too much, was Whirl of Rogue, just because it's very powerful in a lot of environments, right? But now we're going to move in. As we, we did talk about, and I think you've already spoke to this mm-hmm. one, was reanimate. Mm-hmm. And so we're over that one. We've kind of said it's, it's, it's powerful, but it's not broken. Then I want to point out this next card, and then I'm going to ask you to defend this one. Is Sir Conrad the Grim? Would you mind telling everybody what this card does and why you're running it in this environment? No, he doesn't do anything. He just is a three, <laughs> three and two black. He's a five four. He's a legend, uncommon humanoid. That's all the text is on it. I can't read anymore. So no, but anyway, it says uh, whenever another creature dies or another creature is put into a graveyard from anywhere other than the battlefield, or a creature card leaves the battlefield, leaves your graveyard. Sorry, Sir Conrad does one damage to each opponent, and then uh, for one of the black, you can make each each player mill, mill their top card. A and this thing just works so well with so many different archetypes. It works so good with the self-mill. It works so good. It gives the self-mill an alternate win con. Yeah, so if you say a card like that would give like self-mill an alternate win con, perhaps, or it would really push aristocrats over the line and give them a more reach. Or even this card, in my opinion, can just go standalone because I've been beat down by this card. Nothing else. Would you? Would... Oh, totally agree with that. Yeah, this card just by itself does a lot, does a lot by himself. He enables himself with that one in a black activated ability it's i won't deny it it's very powerful but again it is still just a creature it is not the end all and be all of of, of magic it's, it can die to almost anything in the cube uh so the next one i want to point out and we're gonna do two of them here it's gonna be young pyromancer and gut true true soul zealot and i want to talk about these two and whether or not they're both appropriate and i think i know my answer for young pyromancer uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's kind of like the third path iconalist or Sahili, so it plays into that. But I do think it's not a card that you want to be encouraged to pass in this environment. Maybe it, not in the highest powered vintage environment would this be a high pick, but uh, in this type of environment where creatures go on wide strategies, really dominate, and you've got stuff like the unicorn that gives counters on it, these type cards can go nuts, oh, yeah. right? But I want to talk about this next beauty, and it is a house, and it is gut. True Soul Zealot. And for two colorless and one red, you get a 2-2. Legendary creature, Goblin Shaman. Whenever you attack, you may sacrifice another creature or an artifact. If you do, create a 4-1 Black Skeleton Creature token with Menace that's tapped and attacking. One more time. Tapped 
and attacking with Menace. Mm -hmm. And all you had to do was have your Blood Arts out and sacrifice one of your young Pyromancer. Yeah, that's disgusting. Disgusting. Oh, yeah, this card's an absolute beating, and I love it. I love everything about this card. It does everything I want it to do. The tokens look freaking sweet, and I don't really care. It's great. The card is amazing. It does win games. But, again, it's only a 2-2. You can kill a 2-2. There's almost anything kills a 2-2. And it only makes four ones that are tapped and tapping with Menace. Only. only. <laughs> only. <laughs> and so we've already, we've, already beat, we've already beat down Jade Mage conversationally, yeah. right? That card is very powerful. It looks, it looks uh, it's easy to underestimate, and I'll just leave that right there. Mm -hmm. This next card, and this one's a very EDH-centric card that I'm going to tell you is very easy to underestimate the power of two. And if you're not running this and your lands matters, EDH decks, etc., it's Tireless Provisioner. And for two colorless and one forest, you get a 3-2 creature else scout. Uh, landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a food token a, or a treasure token. And basically, it either ramps you forward or it preserves your life because this isn't a very uh, battlefield-oriented, creature-centric battle. So you'd be shocked how much that three life matters and it can actually stabilize you within a game. That's I think that's the big selling point for me even more than the treasure. That may sound foolish, but in a creature-centric environment, you want to stay alive. You want to survive the bolts, etc. This gives you reach. This next card, and it's just kind of on every list I ever make, and it's just going to be Rancor, right? I mean, Rancor is just a gross card that really... But I do like it because Rancor encourages you to put it on a creature and go into combat, right? Mm -hmm. But even... If if you're going to lose the creature, a 1-1 token or a servo or whatever, it encourages players to play the game, right? But it does it does keep getting refreshed. So I would say in a, in a kind of low-tier low environment, Rancor should always just be – it can be top-tier and just needs to be monitored. And on a 1-1, not such a big deal. But suddenly you give a creature – I don't know, we talked about uh, one without evasion before. And we're like, oh, it doesn't have an evasion. I don't know, Season Halloblade? <laughs> yeah, that or another card that's in there called Breaker of Armies. It's fine, you know. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so a card like Rancor can look pretty benign, but you can you know you can catch on. So, closing thoughts. I love peasant environments. It, it is such an interesting and dynamic. It, it's in this weird, as we said, this this doldrums or purgatory of magic where it's trapped in between. I don't want to be popter. I want to, I don't want to be popper. I want to be a real boy. I want to be rare, but it's not quite there. So the power mini max is a little bit scattershot, right? You'll see some cards and you're like, Oh man, I saw that in a popper environment. And you'll see the other card and you go, Hey man, I see that in a powered vintage environment. And that's what's so interesting about this cube. It can be hard as a drafter mm -hmm. to evaluate, right? As cards getting passed around, you're like, I don't know the power level of this card is mold drifter powerful. Yes, it is. But it doesn't look that because maybe you've been playing power vintage, but as you move, if you move from a popper environment and you're like, oh man, uh, that's got a mold drifter, sweet. I'm gonna, so it makes for a weird tempo while drafting because you're in this unusual little spot. Do you have any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I, I agree. And with what Anthony said, it's, it's like I said, I built this cube to be a midpoint between my popper and my power cube environment. And as I said earlier, and I, I just really liked it. it. At first, I just built it as kind of a goof. I, I had asked someone in our play group if they were going to build one. And they, they just never did. I can't remember who I asked. Uh, they, just, they just absolutely never did. So I said, you know what? I have all these commons and uncommons. I've got an extra 50 bucks. I, and I bought, a, and I bought a, bunch of, a bunch of cards and just put it together. And the first time I put it back through together, it wasn't awesome. It, it just It's taken a lot of work to get where it is now. But um, it was it was been a lot of fun, and as he said, the card selection is challenging. Uh, there are models out there. There are uh, there is a peasant community, and uh, we you know I do interact with them. I will give a shout out to on Cube Cobra and MTG Salvation again. Someone creates a uh, every year that they do a peasant cube 
collaboration where they get together, get all the lists of, of current pe current peasant cubes, and then show you like this is run between forty five and fifty cards. This is run between cubes. This is run in zero to nine cubes. You know, kind of thing. So it gives you an idea. You can look at what's in your cube versus what's on there, and it's been really good. And I'm very sorry to whoever creates that, and it's amazing, but I cannot remember your name at all. I don't have access to it right now, so sorry. But uh, it was, uh, but it was really good, and it's very helpful every year. And I've been a part of it for several years now, and it's it's been incredible. And uh, yeah, it's also very affordable. That's another reason it's really good. It's just so cheap to to get into this. You can get, I mean, buy white border versions. It doesn't matter. Just as the, they're the cheapest versions usually, and they're really good for people who don't have a lot of money to spend this, but want to have a cube environment, want something a little more than. Pop. And I, I understand popper is fun, but. You might want to do a little more. You want to play, might want to play Aristocrats because you can't play Aristocrats in Popper. It just doesn't exist. The payoffs aren't there. Another thing is uh, balancing of balancing of archetypes is a really. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to get it right because if you do it wrong, one archetype will just take over everything, and it just it doesn't it doesn't make for any fun. No one has fun at that time. That way, if you know if your blink deck is winning every single draft, maybe you need to think about that again. Yeah, so it's just a matter of uh, kind of laying it out uh, as a curator and then kind of sub subdividing your cube to decide which section that you have this parse to or labeling it. As he did, he did the three groupings of each color to show the suite. And you may have seen a lot of blend in there. I noticed as a central theme as we wove in, you see a lot of blank, a lot of self-mill, and a lot of mid-range type gameplay. And he, he admittedly, he said that the Agro suites do get challenged in this environment because it, it's in that weird, you know, that sweet spot where the, the power creep's not quite, the, quite there. The ceilings on some of the mid-range cards are a little bit stronger. And as as we get more cards printed by Wizards of the Coast, this this cube will continue to evolve and you can test the waters on it. And another thing that we've talked about, and this is hopefully getting solved soon in the future, is that if you look at the non-basic lands, unless you you know decide to do shocks and fetches, what people have... In this case, uh, Sandwich, uh, Chris has decided to be a purist, and I, I respect him for it. He's going to run the cards within there, so you're looking at the tri-lands, et cetera. I mean, so the gameplay is actually going to be stymied ever so slightly. Some of those OP cards may be a, a little slowed down by the tempo of the lands. At least that's what I'm hoping in my mind. Or the opponent didn't develop fast enough and you get beat down anyways. I mean, there, there is always the risk, right? But you do have... The fun and challenging lines of play. And as you, and I, I'd encourage everybody to look at these show notes. And then I could literally, if I was doing it, I could draw lines and intersections between these. It's nuts how much these cards are interwoven. These archetypes blend almost. They're not homogenous. They're all unique in their design, but they, you, you don't get stuck as a drafter. You don't get trapped by cards in this environment. If I were going to take, I don't know. We'll go back to the tireless provisioner, and I wanted to do that particular line of play based on landfall. I'm not looking to get the lands pushing me over the you know over the top here. All I'm looking for is some food and some treasures to progress my game ever so slowly. So no cards are really a trap signaling anything other than what they're trying to do. It's an honest cube, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you're not going to get suckered in. And I do highly recommend using Sandwich's design. And, and take a look at it. It's intricate. It's interesting. It has a really powerful write-up. And, and it's been play-tested repeatedly. And I'm really trying to encourage him to submit this to KubeCon in 2023 because I'd love to see this. People just go you know, go nuts with this cube. It's awesome. Uh, other than that, you have any final thoughts here, Chris? No, it's just I, I really appreciate being on the show. Thank you very much. This was a whole lot of fun. Uh, talking Peasant Cube. I, it's one of my favorite cubes. Uh, that and my soul thank you. I love that one as well. But uh, but this one, my 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 popper have been a real fun to put together and everything. And also, I 
I love it when a new set comes out and I go and just search on Scryfall and just try to evaluate it. I evaluate all the commons and uncommons. You know, that, that's also fun. And also, master sets are the best for this cube because they downshift stuff. It's awesome. I look forward to master sets just for that reason, actually, more than anything. <laughs> well, thanks again to Chris for joining us. This is fun as usual. He'll be on a future episode where we do break down that sweet Soul Tie graveyard theme deck that he's got and others, his power, vintage, etc. But for now, we're going to do the thing we always do. We're going to move over to the socials and the closing. So if you love the show, and we truly, truly, truly hope that you do, we would appreciate a five-star review on your favorite pod player, etc. listing device. If you want to support the show, Please uh, consider using our Inked Gaming Affiliate where you can find playmats, dice bags, mouse pads, etc. Uh, basically using that link will basically keep the lights on here at UberQ by purchasing the products that you love and you need as a both a player and a cube curator. They got sweet stuff, folks. Check it out. I buy all my stuff from there, my playmats, etc. And you can also find us at Twitter, at UberCube. MTG Pod, or you can reach us at UberCube, MTG Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can link us on Discord at basically hashtag UberCube, which we'd love to get you guys to join that. We've got an interesting, we have a, basically it's erupting out into daily conversations. Uh, we've got a few people in there that really just get get the get the conversation flowing and we're having a great time in there. So feel free to come join the Discord and check it out and have fun. Other than that, we also have a Patreon where you can find a landing site. You can check out the different suites and stuff that we have that gives different privileges. If you want to look for us to talk about your particular cubes on UberCube or you want us to actually join as a you know special guest or have some hot takes, et cetera. We're looking at, we're, we're exploring avenues here, but check out our Patreon. It's uh, UberCube. And then other than that, we're going to say the thing that we always say here at UberCube is happy cubing. Happy cubing.